turn to the word of the Lord with me. We're going to go to several scriptures. We're going to begin at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Then we're going to go to Psalm 104, 100 and verse 4, and then 2 Chronicles 9, 17 through 19. By way of announcement, this Sunday we will have an outdoor service in our parking lot. It will be at 5 p.m. Please help us spread the word. Instead of 6 o'clock, 5 p.m., it will give us a little more time with daylight. And so um, you're more than welcome to stay in your vehicle. You can get out in a chair and social distance. Um, but please also invite someone. Uh, this weekend we will have Brother Caleb Herring will be preaching our outdoor service. It, you will not want to miss the ministry of Brother Caleb Herring. So please remember that. We look forward to seeing each and every one of you at 5 p.m. this Sunday. There will be an ad on Facebook helping announce it, but please let people know. Also, I'm asking tomorrow, um, sometime between 6 and whenever you go to bed, I want us to have prayer meeting in our home. I'm asking you to pray with your family for at least 20 minutes. At least 20 minutes, sometime after 6, between 6 o'clock and when you go to bed. It's hard for us right now to have prayer meeting together. So this will be a way that we can join together uh, in prayer. We need prayer. We need prayer. And I will speak further on that throughout my message tonight. 2 Chronicles 7. 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Amen. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Finally, our third scripture will be 2 Chronicles chapter 9, beginning with verse 17. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. And there were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne. And stays on each side of the sitting place, and two lions standing by the stays. And twelve lions stood there on the one side, and on the other upon the six steps. There was not like, there was not the like made in any kingdom. I want to tie all of these scriptures together using the first sentence of chapter, of rather verse 18. And there were six steps to the throne. That's my title tonight, Six Steps to the Throne. Amen. It's impossible for our minds to comprehend the magnitude of God. We worship something that we can't see. We can't measure. We can't grasp with our hand. Yet you can feel them. 
Scientists have exhausted themselves and will continue to exhaust themselves. But they'll never exhaust God. Scripture says that there would be a day, and I believe we're living in that day, where knowledge would ever increase, but men would never come to the knowledge of truth. Scripture says in Romans 11:33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. There's no way that even the brightest of men can ever scratch the surface on who God is and what He can do. You study the Old Testament, God gave glimpses of himself. We could say it was chapters in the storybook. He revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu. And on and on and on it goes. He was El, he was El Ohim. He was so much more as he revealed various attributes of his identity to those people. He is embodied. The Old Testament Christ or God is embodied in the New Testament Jesus Christ. And I preached on this just a couple of weeks ago. Um, yet he has many titles, some of which include Lily of the Valley, Bride and the Morning Star, Root and Offspring of David. He's known as our shelter, our refuge, our strong tower, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And I, if I had to choose tonight, what title would, would properly identify God? I would, I would have to say Revelation 17 and 14, where it labels him as the King of Kings. I don't want to dive off into too much end-time prophecy. But if you read this book, you'll find real quick that there's going to be a king set up in Jerusalem that's going to be the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And for a thousand years on this earth, not somewhere else, on this earth, Jesus Christ will reign and the lion will lay with the lamb. And the earth will return to what God intended for it to, to, to be for in the very beginning. He is the King of Kings. We don't serve a God that we should approach half-heartedly. We don't serve a God that we should uh, ever take for granted or operate with a lack of reverence. But we must remember and understand that the God that we serve is royalty. In fact, he is far superior than any king that has ever lived, any queen that has ever taken a throne. It was Isaiah that said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And when I saw him, he was high and lifted up. That means he was far greater than King Uzziah. He was far superior than any king that that day had ever known. But when I saw him, I didn't just see him high and lifted up. But I saw his train, which resembled and reflected all the victories of that king. And his, his train filled the temple. Because there has never been a king like him. And there will never be another king that follows him. He is the king of kings. I remind you tonight when you go to prayer,
that you're not just going to, to recite some words into the air and hope that some God in the universe grabs those words. But when you go to prayer, you're making your way to the throne room of God. You're approaching royalty. He's greater than any president. He's greater than any political figure. He is, the word says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need the king more now than we've ever needed him before. We don't need programs. We don't need talent. We don't need greater preaching. We don't need more money or bigger buildings. Let me tell you what this world needs. We need the King of Kings in our midst. We need the glory of God in our midst. If we ever try to rely on anything other than God, we deceive ourselves and we've turned this into a social gathering instead of the church. With that awareness of who we pray to and who we live for, Understanding that he is the king of things, if you king of kings, if you'll give me some pulpit liberty tonight, I want to draw the parallel that we read in Second Chronicles chapter nine, six steps to the throne, and there was no other throne like it. I believe tonight I can give you six steps that'll get you to that throne. Six steps that if we'll if we'll take each step like Scripture lays out. When we're done, we'll be at the throne room of glory and in the presence of God. The first step is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. My people which are called by my name will humble themselves. Humility is a dying trait. Pride is on the rise. As I've stated before, the first spirit that got cast out of heaven was pride as it manifested itself in Lucifer. And the spirit of the Antichrist is what's going to rise up in the end time, and that's pride. And what we're seeing unfold in the world today is motivated by pride because everybody's worried about themselves more than anybody else. But my friend, I remind you, if you're going to live for God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to humble yourself. You've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow after God. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Pride puts more confidence in you than it does God. You cannot approach the king with pride lest he cast you out of his presence. Remember this, knowing God makes us humble. Knowing ourselves keeps us humble. Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He writes to the church at Philippi, For we are the circumcision, circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If we're going to access the dimension of the king, we've got to get over ourselves. It's easy to say, and it's hard to do. This is what James says in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he shall lift you up. 
Let me tell you what we need a revival of. We need a revival of brokenness. A revival of humility. If there's ever been a time where God's people need to call upon Him, it's right now. When we go to prayer, we're so, we're so quick to hurry up and, and get to all of our needs. And, and, and God, you see this in my life, and you see this in my life. And, and God, I, I need you, God. And we have a lot of I in our praying. But the first step to get to the throne is getting rid of I. How do I do that? I humble myself before God. Humility. We need humility. You cannot live for God. If you, if you, cannot, you cannot be who God wants you to be if you are prideful. God will not associate Himself with prideful people. I've met people that told me how humble they were. And I thought to myself, you might need to pray just a little bit more. Because if you're humble, you don't have to say it. You just show it. Humility. Second step to the throne. My people which are called by my name will humble themselves. And then they need to pray. Notice the order. He didn't put pray first. He put humility first. Because in God's eyes, you're not really praying unless you're first humble. You've got to have humility. And when you get to that place of brokenness, that spirit of con that contrition and, and, and brokenness, notice with me, Scripture said that Moses had a relationship with God the likes of which no one else did. God spoke audibly to Moses. But the Bible also says that he was the meekest man on earth. Other than Christ, nobody was meeker than Moses. And meekness, the spirit of brokenness, attracts God like nothing else will. When you get that meekness, that brokenness, you then move to prayer. Much is said about prayer. But there's a di big difference in talking about prayer and actually praying. Praying is just as much about us as it is God. You see, you can't truly pray until you have been humbled in the presence of the Lord. Prayer is about acknowledging the human will as in surrender unto God. Prayer must not come from the roof of the mouth, but from the root of the heart. I've met people, and I've been around people in prayer rooms, that they were saying words, but they were not praying. Because prayer is not about filling up time with words. It's about connecting with God from the heart. We can sit here and recite words and words and words and sentences. And, and this is what the Pharisees did when, when, Jesus, when Jesus rebuked them for their, for their long enchanting and taking up time. And, 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 and they weren't making any difference in prayer. Prayer, when we go to prayer, it's about connecting with God. This is why James said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's often been said, but I can verify it and I'll say it again. When it's hardest to pray, pray your hardest. Because prayer is not based upon feeling. Prayer is based upon faith. There's been times I've knelt before God in prayer, and I, if I went off my feelings, I'd just get up and I'd leave. 
and I didn't feel like praying. I had a whole bunch of stuff going on. I didn't feel like getting a hold of God. But somewhere along the way, your faith has to kick in. And you've got to touch God. Prayer is the fuel by which the church operates. I, as beautiful as we have of a building and the talent that we have and many other churches in the same category, hear me when I say, if we don't have prayer, then all of that, the best that we have, will not work in the kingdom of God. Only prayer moves God. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray like David than to preach with the eloquence of Gabriel. We've got to pray, church. This is why I'm asking you tomorrow, tomorrow evening between 6 and whenever you go to bed, take your family into your living room or wherever you're at and spend at least 20 minutes praying. We have got to pray. And we cannot say we don't have time. We've had more time in the past five weeks than we've ever had to just sit and talk to God and to pray. We can draw closer to God through prayer. That's the second step. The third step to the throne. He said, seek my face. The implication is clear. Don't just seek what I can do for you. Seek who I am. Because we can get so stuck on seeking His power that we ignore His presence. You see, you can either live powerful or you can live pure. Pure people will get to heaven. But some powerful people won't. The balance is purity and power. But we're living in a day where we're mesmerized by people who are powerful and they operate in the gifts. But purity is what God desires. This is what Matthew 5 and 8 says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He did not say blessed are the powerful, for they shall see God. He said blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we get purity? You get power from His hands. You get purity from His face. The light of His countenance. You get the character and the nature of God. We cannot become more reliant on who we are and what we can do. We've got to have the purity, the anointing of God. This is what, this is what Jeremiah said in chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Israel relied upon what they could do instead of what God could do. And we got, the word says that there's going to be people stand before God that operated in giftings. They were powerful people. They relied upon what they could do. But God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because what they didn't have was purity. You read the book of Corinthians, you'll find that the most powerful church was also the most carnal church. Because power is not necessarily indicative of approval. Purity is what God wants. Purity. This is what Scripture says in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend in the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. God wants purity. Proverbs 8 and 17. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Amen. That's not just indicating mourning. 
That's talking about early in your situation. Isn't it funny how we turn to God when he's our last option instead of going to God as our first option? That's what God wants. The fourth step, turn from their wicked ways. Here's where we need a revival. We need revival of repentance. We have drank the Kool-Aid of confession. And we've ignored repentance. Confession is good. But confession is only part of what God wants. Confession is saying, hey, you know what? I did wrong, God. But repentance says, I did wrong and I'm not going to do it again. You read in the Word of God when every time God got mad at Israel, the only thing that stayed was a preacher interceding and a nation repenting. And that turned from their wicked ways. We've got to repent. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Bible says that when God does a work in your life and you repent of your sins and you get full of the Holy Ghost, this is what Paul said in Galatians 5 and 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is why social media is so dangerous. It's because there's people that are allowing themselves to be entangled with things from their past. And marriages are destroyed. Families are ripped apart because what God intended to be absent from your life, you go and invite back in it, and you're entangled again in that yoke of bondage. Friends that God delivered you from, relationships that God delivered you from, and you run back to them in the form of social media, and you think that it's not going to affect you, but you there, there are literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of relationships that have been destroyed. Because people went back to the yokes of bondage. I encourage you tonight, if you repent of your sins, leave those sins behind. Does that mean that you'll be perfect? No. You're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes. We understand that. But there's a different in, difference in incidental sin and habitual sin. A mistake, a slip up, and something is a lifestyle. There's a difference in that. And we've got to avoid lifestyles of wrongdoing. Amen. How do I do it? You repent. You turn from your wicked ways. That's step number four. But I'm joining two other steps. I'm talking about making it to the throne room of God. Making it to the place where you can commune with God. You humble yourself before the Lord. You pray. You seek His face and turn from your wicked ways. But then I added a scripture that gives us two more steps. You enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. I've, I've, I'm, I've said it earlier in talking about humility. We're living in perhaps the most selfish and ungrateful generation that there's ever been. We're eating fruits from vineyards that we didn't plant. We're reaping benefits of, thing, of labor that went on before us. And here's what I've noticed about people, ungrateful people are generally unhappy people. Ungrateful people are generally unhappy people. Thankfulness 
is the, is the source in which joy thrives. When you have soil and you, are, you plant thankfulness, joy will, will, will be abundant. If you can't be thankful for what you receive, be thankful for what you escaped. You know, we, we want to thank God for that which we've got. But how about thanking God for that which he's kept us from and that which we have escaped? This is what Paul said. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Hebrews 3.15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. If you're going to live for God, you have to develop a spirit of gratitude. If you want to get to the throne, you've got to take that step of being thankful unto the Lord. When you go to prayer, spend some time thanking God for everything that he's done. This is what Paul said, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A lot of people pray for the will of God. I can tell everybody the will of God is always to be thankful no matter where you're at in your life amen be thankful be thankful finally the sixth step when you get to that throne room of god you enter into his courts with praise when you've taken those five steps something happens in your heart when you when you humble yourself before the lord and you begin to pray and you seek his face and turn from his wicked. You're not even going to realize you're taking steps. Because there's going to be an, an, an evolution in your spirit as it happens. And you're going to get to thinking about how good God's been. And you're going to begin to thank God for everything that he's done and what he's kept you from. And that sixth step, when you get into the courts, you're going to just naturally, it's going to flow from your heart, is a spirit of praise. You see, the king loves praise and one thing that i know about a revival church is a revival church is going to be a praising church ah when i was evangelizing i'd walk into a church and i'd start to feel after the temperature of that church where it's at and one thing that i learned is quiet churches are not revival churches because revival churches are going to be full of noise they're going to be full of life and my friend, when you come to the house of God or even in your prayer time, the quickest way that you get to the presence of the king is you let praise begin to flow from your lips because he inhabits the praises of his people. When Jesus came riding on, the, on a colt, he was met with, with palms and, and praise and worship. And Bible says that we could praise him for his mighty acts or we could praise him according to his excellent greatness. In other words, you could praise him for what he's done. But if you can't think of anything that he's done, you can still praise him for who he is because he is the Lord and he's changed not. Amen. I'm talking about six steps to the throne. Bible says that the high praises of God be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands. Let me tell you how, if you want to live for God successfully, if you want to make it through every battle, you want to come out on the other side in victory, you do what that verse says. 
You keep the high praises of God in your mouth and you keep a two-edged sword in your hand. You can praise Him through it. What's a high praise? A high praise is generally a hard praise. The harder it is to praise Him, the higher it reaches to the heavens. Because when you don't feel like praising Him, it touches the heart of God that you'll praise Him anyway. And let me tell you, you keep a sword in your hand. There's going to be times you go to prayer and you say, God, I, I've done it myself. I say, God, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to open this book and I'm going to start praying these scriptures. And I just start letting David pray for me in the Psalms. I'll just start flipping through these scriptures and I start quoting them out loud. You say, what does that do? I don't know what it does. But I know there's power in the spoken word of God. You keep a, you keep a two-edged sword in your hand. And you keep the high praise of God. Musicians and singers, you can come. Each step is crucial. I remember one time we were building a, a, a swing set. Some type of one of those playground deals. And we messed up at the beginning and didn't think it was too big of a deal. So we kept on building that swing set deal, that treehouse. And we got all the way to the end of it and realized that we couldn't finish it because that step that we skipped at the beginning messed up the whole thing. And when you're trying to successfully get to the throne room of God, you've got to take steps to get there. You don't just approach royalty haphazardly. You say, preachers, it's the only way to pray. No, it's not the only way to pray. But I'm helping somebody who's struggling with praying. I'm, give, I'm giving you some steps that you could just follow real easy to get to the throne room of God. And it's based off of what Scripture tells us. Humble yourself, step one. Step two, pray. Step three, seek His face. Step four, Turn from your wicked ways. Step five, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And when you get to that throne, the last step, enter into his courts with praise. What do you think heaven's going to be like? All around the throne is going to be praise for all of eternity. That's how much God likes praise. Amen. Will you perfect it overnight? No, you won't. But I can comfort you in this fact. No human being has ever perfected it. Ever. Every day, Paul said, i got to die. He said, I will to do good. But every time I try to do my best, evil's right there with me. Because the enemy does not want you living for God. The enemy doesn't want you to pray. Hell fights whom hell fears. And you got to remember when things start going crazy in your life, we take it as a sign that we do something wrong and we just want to stop. Could it be that you're doing something right and you just need to keep on pressing and you need to keep on praying? Wallace Ridge, I'm preaching to you tonight. Whether you're watching in your living room or wherever you're at, and if you're watching this next week, next month, it's going to apply every single day. It's going to apply to your life. you got to make the choice 
Amen. Why don't we lift our heaven, our hands to heaven right now? Let's call upon the Lord as our singers begin to sing. Lord, we need your presence. We as a nation, we need your presence. We don't approach you half-heartedly, but God, as a church family, we reach out to you right now. We need you, Jesus. We need your presence. We need the hand of God in Catahoula Parish. Lord, the spirits that have been fighting the church have been around here a long time, and the only way that we're going to break those spirits is through prayer. It's through seeking the face of God. God, in and of ourselves, we are nothing. We put no confidence in our flesh. We've got to have your spirit. We've got to have your touch. We've got to have your anointing. We've got to have your strength. Oh, God, we offer ourselves today. We come to you in prayer. We seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways. And we offer thanks for everything you've done. But, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to praise you. Oh, that's it. Wallace Ridge, reach out to God. Reach out to God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Worship with them as they sing. When I've just gone through the motions, I'm sorry. When I just sang another song, take me back to where we started. Open up my heart to you, and I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart. 